0: time, I interrupted myself. I was introducing our missionary couple, Lee and Joanne Freese. I've known Lee and Joanne for 35-plus years. Uh, They were students at Southeastern when I first came to to Birmingham, and uh, uh, they uh, felt the Lord calling them to Ireland. And at that time, there was a wide-open opportunity to go and help uh, su- support existing churches and disciple believers and plant new churches, and they had a part in all that. And we were invited over at least twice to visit them to see you know, their world, to see what it's, what it's like to be right in the middle of Ireland. Beautiful, beautiful country. 47 different shades of green. Sort of looks like my front lawn. About 47 different shades of of green. (laughs) Lee, Joanne, you come.
1: Good morning. Uh, it's really great to be here this morning. Uh, and, and George, we've actually known you longer than 35 years, George, uh, because um, you guys have been supporting uh, the ministry we've been involved with for 35 years. Uh, originally uh, under um, Deerfoot, I guess you'd call it, in 1984, uh, started supporting us in the ministry we were involved in. But we knew you at school, George. So we know some of his previous teaching before he got saved. Uh...
2: We could tell you stories. <laughs>
1: um, well, we're just excited to be able to share with you what the Lord's have been doing in our lives and how he's uh, enabled us to continue to be involved in ministry. Um, some folks actually think we maybe are too old, but. Uh, my wife's still waiting for me to get out of my teen years, so I think we're okay. We're going we're gonna to keep it on, keep it on. Um, so we'd like to share with you just a few minutes uh, what God's have us, having us do. Um, and I'm going to let my wife take care of this first part, and then I'll give you some more information.
2: Um, some of the process that we're involved in now is um, assessing the new candidates that come to CrossWorld twice a year, Uh, They're there for two weeks, we're there for four plus weeks, uh, going through their references and going through all their paperwork, interviewing them one-on-one, assessing uh, where their giftedness lies, um, trying to determine what they're most suitable for, what area they're most suitable for, what kind of ministry. Uh, So that's all part of us being involved in the assessment team. And as far as CO goes, that's just for the two weeks that they're there, they have to go through all kinds of testings, Bible testings, they go through a counselor. Um, We do a lot of one-on-one interviews with them. Uh, It's pretty heavy duty, Um, but they're there to assess us as well as us assessing them. And so on both sides, we get to determine if we're a good fit for each other. We're also involved in coaching. So once they are approved and accepted with CrossWorld and um, become appointees, we call them, we are doing coaching. So what that involves is from the minute they leave uh, that time of orientation until we put them on the plane to their country of service, we're involved in meeting with them usually via Skype or some of you know what Zoom is. Um, sometimes it's one-on-one um, if they're living close enough to us. We do that once a month uh, for about an hour and a half. We take them through what's called a personal development plan that Cross uh, CrossWorld um, hones uniquely to each individual. Even if you're a married couple, each of you get a separate one. And we help them work through that. We've determined areas where we think they need to be better equipped for the particular ministry that they're pursuing. And so we spend that time helping them through the process.
1: Uh, Along with this, um, in the past, we've held our own uh, candidate orientation and our own pre-field orientation. That's where we bring the appointees back and we prepare them to go to whatever field of service God has called them. Um, as you know, mission's changing a lot today. A lot of things are happening. Um, several missions that we would be uh, friendly with. We're actually friendly with other missions. Uh, they, uh, At this point in time in their history, they, they have no property. They've chosen to go with uh, we'll call them offices in... Um, business complexes or industrial complexes which is fine but where they've found that they've had a difficulty is when they try to bring their new uh, new candidates or new missionaries together to train them and then to train them to go out they have to rent facilities um, and what can happen is as you can rent a facility you have to do it six months ahead of time and then if you figure on ten people showing up and only five show up you still have to pay for the ten or if 15 show up, now you've got to figure out where we're we going to take care of the other, 15, the other five. So there's these dynamics that they're trying to work with. And uh, Crossworld World uh, has a, a facility that we're using out in Kansas City. God has been gracious to us. Um, you may know of Avant Ministries. Um, we share a campus with them. So we have a facility that can, can house people. We have a facility that can uh, house a conference center. So, uh, we're working together, we're uh, working with TEAM, uh, SEND International, and South American Missions, or SAM. Uh, We're in the process right now of working together and seeing why can't we do candidate orientation and pre-field together. There's so many things that we do the same, preparing missionaries to go, and then getting them ready just prior to going on the field. So, we're in the process right now. Joanne and I are part of a team that's trying to work this all out. We're going to be having our first joint um, CO, PFO uh, this coming June. So, it's going to be exciting to see uh, how we work this out. And we're just pleased that Crossworld has asked us to be part of this process and to rep- represent them as we work through this. Uh, we have the facilities, and we're willing to work with them and help set it out. And somehow, We're praying that the Lord allow it to work out, yet each of these missions will uh, continue to have their own identity. Because we do ministry together, but sometimes we do it differently. But we want to work together to get missionaries prepared to go. So you can be praying for that.
2: And one very exciting piece of news for us anyways. Yesterday we found out that CrossWorld alone is looking to have 30 new candidates arrive in June for orientation. So that's one of the largest orientations that we would have had for quite a few years.
1: Uh, I guess we all might as well share it with you right now. We were excited uh, last week, since we were here in the Birmingham area, we were able to visit one of our appointees, a family from Childersburg, who May 1st will be heading off to Senegal to serve. And it's been exciting to see them go through the process of uh, candidate orientation, then go to security training, go to language acquisition training, go to pre-field orientation, and now they're ready to go and they have their support. So it's really exciting to see what God is doing. Uh, We don't want to forget Ireland because that's really where our heart has been over the years. Uh, Just to bring you up to date, the Republic of Ireland is the southern portion of the island. Up in the uh, upper right-hand corner, that's Northern Ireland, and they're part of Great Britain. They're not part of the the Republic. Uh, We've been down in Cork City, which is right down in the middle on the bottom of uh, of Ireland. So there's 26 counties that make up the Republic. There's 4.8 million people, approximately. There's 27,000 square miles. It's approximately the same size as New York. Uh, Yet, it's still 99% of the people are unreached with the Gospel. Uh, As the Ireland coordinator, I've had responsibility for overseeing the teams that are there. Right now, we have a team in Douglas, which is the family the Carlaws. We have a team in Killarney, which is the family Webbs, and we have a team in Yall, which is in the process of moving the missionaries out. Uh, There's a church there now, and uh, so our last missionary there is Jessie, and she'll be retiring um, this this end of this year. So you could pray for those those teams. Um, Part of the difficulty is, and some of you know and some of you don't, Ireland has changed its immigration laws. They have a new government and um, new missionaries, evangelical missionaries basically are barred from coming in. So uh, we're not able to enter the country to help the the, the local fellowships there anymore. While we were there we've seen ten churches, I'll show you a little bit about them, and we're just uh, disappointed, but we also know God's in control, so you could pray that either the um, regulations changed, but also that God will use those local fellowships that have been planted, that they will carry on the work and share the gospel with their friends and family. Uh, The Cork and Carey Project was what we worked with. Um, It was started um, back in the early 80s, the Cork Baptist Church, which was founded in 1650 and had about 12 members in in 1979, Ask Crossworld, to work with them to plant more churches. That's the Cork Baptist. And out of that, that church, we now have 10 churches uh, sharing the gospel. In um, I think what's her, there's nine there. Uh, there's another one that's just been added. Um, but we're excited that those 10 churches are willing to uh, continue to share the gospel. They continue to want to be involved in church planting. The only way you can be part of this project they call it the Cork and Kerry Project, those are the two counties. The only way you can belong is if your church is willing to plant another church. Uh, that's really the major requirement. Uh, as Crossworld's representative uh, on the Cork and Kerry Project, I met with other, each church sends one representative, we meet uh, three times a year, and just in September when we were over there for three weeks to uh, visit the ministry and make sure things are going okay, I now turned over my responsibility on that committee to the missionary, Bryce Carlaw, that is there. He's on the ground, he's a good man, and it's time for him to take over responsibility uh, on this committee for Cross World. Why don't you share about the next two? Um,
2: this is an exciting, fairly new ministry uh, that we've seen develop in Cork City. It's called the Munster Bible College and we have many of our people from those 10 churches that we mentioned that are now attending these. You can attend for either credit or not credit, Um, but they're really excited about this. We just saw our first graduates who have spent about four years in intense Bible study, and um, attending classes, going home, having to do modules, going back, being tested. So it's really exciting for us to see uh, sort of this next step, and many of the elders or those who have recently come into eldership or leadership of any kind have been very involved in this.
1: Uh, We have the Munster Christian Camps. They've been going since about 1981. Um, They were Formed and started by the local group of believers there in Cork and it's been exciting to see out of those camps, which meet three times a year, that out of those camps have come many of the leaders in our churches today. Uh, they've grown up hearing the gospel, they, they then take part in, in camp three times a year, and then they become leaders in the camp, and then eventually they become leaders in our local fellowships. It's been exciting to see how this camp ministry has fit in with everything else that we're doing to try to reach the people of Ireland with the Gospel, and to plant churches. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. That's still a need and a desire for Ireland, that they come to know Jesus as their Savior. And we want to thank you for your prayers and support over these 35 plus years. Uh, it's been a real blessing every time we come we've really enjoyed our time here and uh, enjoy meeting you folks and getting to spend some time with you Uh, sometimes we wish it could be more but uh, god keeps us moving so thank you very much and god bless lee sorry sorry could you turn me back on for a second almost forgot the most important thing. What's that? <coughs> Wasn't that? Yeah. Um, the paid political announcement. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can find our prayer card out in, the, out in the foyer. And if you'd like to receive our email prayer update, uh, you can just sign up on the sheet and make sure you print your email clearly. <laughs> uh, my wife has a gift of interpretation, but she struggles too. So, <laughs> so thank you.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, if you will go to the store where Dr. Hughley works, what's it called? D-X-L. CXL, it's for slightly larger people like, like me. But if you go there and buy yourself a navy blazer and in the front inside pocket, there'll be a card of, of the freezes. Uh, Let's pause and let's pray for the priests and for the ministry and for all the responsibilities that God has given to them. And As we pray, our praise band will come and uh, get themselves ready. Father, we do thank you for Lee and Joanne. Thank you for their faithfulness. They've dedicated their lives to serving you. Uh, As missionaries to the Republic of Ireland. uh, They have thoroughly immersed themselves in Irish culture. Uh, They even hold Irish citizenship. They've learned to love these people with all their heart and they've been very diligent to do so many things designed to bring Christ to the minds of the people there and to see churches uh, planted that will be able to provide to the people there what we enjoy right here uh, at our local church. We pray for the the days ahead, for the changes that have to be made. Thank you for the uh, new responsibilities you've given to them, and we pray that uh, they will find great success in helping to prepare these new missionary candidates uh, to go to the field. And may they go with the same desire to invest their lives in serving you wherever it is that you, you choose, whether it be Africa or Europe or South America or wherever across the world. But um, protect Lee and Joanne, continue to give them the uh, financial support that is necessary for them to do the work that they're called to do, uh, protect them physically as they travel from place to place, reporting to uh, so those who are already <clears throat> supporters and as they go out and seek to meet the new people, new churches that will uh, choose to be a part of the ministry that God has given to them. And we just thank you that uh, you brought them to us, and that we can be a part of their ministry through prayer and through uh, support. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
3: Good morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> we're getting ready to celebrate Easter in a couple of weeks, and so this next couple of weeks we're going to be praising Jesus, focusing on him and our praise and worship, and um, we thought it'd be good this morning to uh, start off with kind of an invitation I think because it just kind of burdens us um, to think that anybody, well anybody at any time, um, would not know Jesus, but particularly anybody in our congregation and at this time, you know, around Easter, would not know Jesus. So if you're out there and you don't know him, or if um, you know him but you're running from him, just think about the words to this song as we open up our service this morning. Um, The song says, come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is calling uh, to each and every one of us. And I can promise you guys, Jesus coming to this earth was the greatest thing uh, that has ever crossed the horizon of this globe. And walking with him is life, and knowing him is peace and joy that we can't even imagine. So let's all stand, and let's, uh, let's worship the Lord together.
4: about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we were talking, just many, many couples, just echoing the fact that we so many times are prone to look uh, in every single area except for the single source that offers real life and real wisdom. And this song, we sing it often. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Just think about that as we sing together.
0: to encourage you if you get a bulletin to look at it. There's all kind of opportunities to serve the Lord and to be ministered to. Uh, I even noticed that the Joy Club on April 25th is going on a road trip to the Blackberry Hill Alpaca Farm in Anniston. Wow! Some of you ladies were wanting a new how about uh, alpaca? I guess they can dye it to look like mink or I don't know. But anyway, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with alpacas. But there's a farm in Aniston, and we're going to go visit it. There's a lot of other things as well, but just keep up so you'll know what's going on. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Green is on, right, fellas? Green is on. Yeah. This morning, uh, I am going to uh, speak from a text that's found in the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Specifically, chapter 14 of the Revelation. By the way, remember, John had one revelation. It's not revelations. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. But in chapter 14, verse 13, it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds will follow with them. And I realize that this seems like a very odd, perhaps even bizarre, text of Scripture for a Sunday morning service. Uh, And I want you to know that I am aware of the context in which this passage of Scripture is found in the 14th chapter. But having said all that, uh, I'm going to uh, talk about... (laughs) what God is revealing through this particular text of Scripture. The book of the Revelation as a whole is primarily about the judgment of God that will one day come to the earth. Uh, it'll happen after the church has been taken away. So if you're wondering, are we going to go through this? No, uh, the, the nature of the tribulation and the nature of the church doesn't allow for the church to be there, and it won't be there. But those who will be there are referred to many, many times as those who dwell upon the earth. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 11, chapter 13, three references. Chapter 14, verse 6, chapter 17, verses 2 and 8. Repeatedly, you'll see this phrase, those who dwell upon the earth. And if you look at every one of them in context, they are the wicked who dwell upon the earth, who reject God and his Christ. They reject the idea of salvation by grace. If they believe in God at all, they are the captains of their own fate. They determine Where their eternity will be. And if they can't earn the right to go there. Well then they don't want to go there. And that's going to work out well for them. Because uh, you're not going to be able to go there. But the book of the Revelation focuses primarily on God's judgment program. For those who dwell upon the earth. In anticipation of God's restoration of a remnant of Israel and a host of Gentile believers, and they will go into what we call the millennial kingdom, that thousand-year rule of Christ upon the earth. But there's going to be judgment upon the God of this world, Satan, and his false Christ, this guy that we hear about, Antichrist, He will come to prominence during this tribulation period and the judgment will be upon him and all those who have his mark, the mark of the beast, all those who have rejected God in every way, shape, uh, and form. In chapter 14 in particular, while it's talking about judgment, it's trying to give a little encouragement to some people. Uh, who are having to undergo some very difficult things there will be people who will come to know Christ as their savior during the tribulation many people but they won't live in a world like we're living in they're going to live in a world that's just a, a a horror if you're a believer you'll be persecuted in every way shape and form you'll be rejected Without the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy a loaf of bread at Aldi. By the way, Glenda sent me a picture, and she's in Germany with all there is to see, and she's standing in front of an Aldi store. But they do originate from Germany, so I guess that's what we should have expected. But in the midst of, of all this, God is trying to give some encouragement, some hope, ...to those believers who because of their faith in Christ... ...they will give up their life. They will be martyred. They'll be put to death. Because the hostility is on a level that you could never begin to imagine. And so therefore, I want to look at this verse. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Lord that they may rest from their labors, and their deeds will follow with them. Now, just a quick observation. This is not an observation by John. This is a command being given from heaven. It starts out, I heard a voice from heaven. This is what God is saying. This is not what John is proposing as uh, maybe a way to, to... make things easier for those who are going through this period. It's the verdict of God concerning his children who die upon the earth. He says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Now the immediate context, and we have to note it, the immediate context are those believers in the tribulation period who are being martyred In every way, shape, shape, and fashion. They're being persecuted beyond what you you think is imaginable. And they are forfeiting their earthly lives because they will not recant their faith in Christ. Uh, Just as it was back in the days of the Reformation where uh, if men took a position of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, the church of that time said, you either recant that or die. And they said, bring it on. I will not recant. I have no life apart from Jesus Christ. Why would I deny him? And they burned him at the stake. They beheaded him. Uh, And Fox's, a little book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. You ought to get that and read it sometime when you just don't have anything else to do and see the faith of these people and how important it was to them to to stand firm on their conviction that it is Jesus Christ who gives me life, life eternal. Uh, There was a fellow named uh, John uh, Huss, And he was brought before the tribunal. And he was told, recant or you'll die. He said, I will not recant. So they took him out and tied him to a post, lit a fire around him and burned him. And then the Pope said, who taught this man this damnable heresy? They said, well, he's a student of Wycliffe. Wycliffe. Bring me Wycliffe. They said, well, sir, He's been in the grave for 40 years. He said, bring me his bones. And he burned his bones just to show his his hatred for what Wycliffe stood for. A man who preached the grace of God as opposed to the teaching of the church in that day, uh, which is still the teaching of that church, that salvation is through the church. They are the McDonald's of spirituality. They have been given the franchise. It is they and only they who can grant salvation to anyone. And it's through a program of works called sacraments. So the immediate context is that these are tribulational saints. Who are martyred for their faith. And it's a word of encouragement. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. But there's also I think application that could be brought across any generation. Just as much as it's blessed for someone to die in the tribulation because they know the Lord, it's just as blessed for people in our day. Because the scriptures say that God delights in uh, the death of his children because it brings them into his presence. Uh, we're told that, that uh, to, to see the Lord... Uh, is the ultimate reward of the very reason why you put your faith and trust in Him to begin with? As, as my dad got uh, up in years, and he he was younger than me, I, I feel like I'm really old. My dad uh, died at 64, and I'm on the sunny side of 70. <clears throat> uh, I'm 70, but it's still sunny; it hadn't gotten shady yet. <clears throat> but uh, Uh, my dad uh, had heart trouble, he had diabetes, he had kidney failure, and uh, he was in the hospital for a long stretch, and finally they let him go home. And then he had another little slight attack, and they wanted to take him back to the hospital. And he said, no, no, no. He said, you're not doing anything for me, You you just put me in the hospital and watching me. He said, I'll just stay home, I can watch my beloved Red Sox beat the Yankees. And the doctor came to my mother and said, I'm going to recommend a psychiatrist. I think your husband's depressed. And she laughed and she said, he's not depressed, doctor. She said, he has walked with the Lord for, uh, since he was uh, 24 years of age. And he, every day he's walked with the Lord and he's... He, he, He's just uh, followed him as his savior and as, as his Lord. He's committed his life to serving him in whatever way uh, that, that was, he could. And there's been good times and there's been tough times. But now he knows he's getting close to the time when he will see him face to face. And that's not depression, that's anticipation, that's excitement. And I would like to think that, that we all have that, that, that attitude in our heart. Now, those of you that are under 21, you say, well, I'm not quite there yet. I'll get excited uh, actually a little later. I haven't even gotten my first new car yet, and I'm, I'm still single, and I haven't had my first child. My dad was 64, and his health was deteriorating rapidly. And, and he had come to the point where he said, uh, I just want so much to go be with him because I know it's going to be so much, so much better. No illness, none of the limitations that happen in this life because of sin and mortality. And, and so, as we speak about this, this verse this morning, uh, I, I know what the immediate context is, but some of the things that are said to that generation can be just as true in our generation as well. Now the one question that we have to answer from uh, this text is what are the blessings that come to those who die in the Lord? Can we find them? And I think that we can. And the first one is this. Uh, it's, it's <clears throat> uh, I can't read that goal. Uh, how can death be a blessing? Number one. Because, quote, in the Lord, we have victory over sin and death. That's why it's a blessing. And that's going to be just as true for you one day as it is going to be for them in that tribulational period. Uh, Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, he, referring to God the Father... Made him, Christ the Son, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Now that's clearly the concept of substitution. He's talking about Christ going to the cross, but he wasn't going to the cross to save himself. He was going to the cross to make possible your salvation. He was dying for your sin. He had no sin. But when he went to the cross, God put our sin upon him. And the penalty was paid in full. He himself cried out, it is finished. And if he wasn't referring to the work of the atonement, then I don't have a clue what he was talking about. There can be no other answer. There's nothing left to do in terms of dealing with our sin. It's all been done. Why would he do this? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We've got to be as righteous as God is if we're going to be acceptable to God. And you say, well, that's a problem. And you're right, and I agree with you. It is a problem. Imagine the best day you've ever had on this earth. The best day. That won't be good enough to satisfy God. Now, you say, well, I graduated magna cum laude. Big deal. I graduated, thank the Lord. (laughs) But you may have been at the top of your class. You were the number one student. Among students at that school, you're the best. But God doesn't grade on a curve like that. God doesn't say, I'm looking for the ones who are in the top 1%. God says, everybody must be as righteous as I am, or you have no chance of being acceptable into my eternal heaven. Well, how in the world are we going to get there? We might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the key. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, God having imputed our sin to Christ and the penalty having been paid God now imputes the righteousness of himself to you, the believer. So that now when God looks at you, he says, you are as righteous as I am. Therefore, you are acceptable to me. And that's in our position. Now, he wants us to live like we're that righteous. And that's a different story. But in terms of your standing before God, in Christ Jesus, in him, you have his righteousness. Righteousness. And that makes you acceptable to God. That's why salvation is by grace. It's, it's based on what he did. It's not based on what we do. There's nothing we can do except be better than somebody else. But you can't be as righteous as God unless you know his son, Jesus Christ. And knowing him, he gives you that righteousness So that you are acceptable to God. That's one reason why it's blessed to die. To die in the Lord. Uh, Peter had something to say about it. Peter says, for Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. There's your substitution. The just, that was Christ. He was holy and just. And he died for the unjust, that's me and you, covered with sin. In order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You see, the way to God is not by do the best you can. Go to a good church. Get involved in committee work. Give some money. Go on a missions trip. Volunteer to Watch the, the, the door with security. and All these things. These are all good things. We depend on people doing all these things. It's a part of, 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 of our, the way we function. But if you're saying, that's how I'm going to get to God, you're wrong. You can't get to God by doing that. You get to God by knowing the Son, Christ Jesus, and knowing what he did when he died on the cross. He died for you. And faith in him Gives you that righteousness. Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, he he made it clear that God had given him knowledge of something that was he called a mystery. The mystery of the church. Now you say, well, what was the mystery? Well, the mystery was that God was going to dump Israel and Give it to the Gentiles. No, that wasn't a mystery. Uh, Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. God told Abraham, through you, I will bless all nations. God knew from the very beginning that in choosing Israel, he wasn't excluding everybody else. He was choosing Israel to be his covenant people. And they were to go out and evangelize the Gentile world. They were to go out and let the world see who their God was. Man, your God's awesome. Y'all haven't had a fa- famine in 300 years? You know, we have one every 30 years. The God of Israel provided. The God of Israel protected. You went out against an army that was four times bigger than you were and had chariots with those spindles that turned and chopped people's legs off and all that. And y'all beat those people? Even when we agreed to, to To peace with them, we still lost. They took all of our money, they took all of our our assets. and, And God wanted the world to be impressed with how great a God he was in the way that he took care of his people. But instead of giving them all these goodies, he was constantly having to discipline them because they were wanting to conform to the Gentile gods they wanted to be go after the babylonian gods and after the assyrian gods and after the greek gods and the roman gods instead of being faithful to the one true god who first chose abraham the george washington of israel and they were to be characterized by a nation that's related to their god by faith and trust that's grace And it all comes in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, here in Ephesians, Paul says, I want to tell you what the mystery is. The mystery, to be specific, he says, is that Gentiles are fellow... I can't see it. Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. The mystery was that now... It was possible in the Old Testament for a Gentile to become a proselyte Jew. He could come under the the, the blessings of of Israel. He had to go through all the steps according to the law of becoming a proselyte. He's not talking about that. He's saying that a Jew and a Gentile equal. They're, They're both fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery was that in this this, uh, present age that we call the church age, there's there's no mountains. It's level ground. A Gentile has every much right to be a part of the body as a Jew. Entrance is very simple. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the one who died for you. That's the gospel. To believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross Because you're a sinner and he paid the penalty so that you can have freedom from the punishment and you can have the righteousness of God given to you as a gift, thank God, because we'll never be able to earn it. Nobody, nobody will ever earn it. And so Paul says that's the mystery that now Jews and Gentiles can be together in one body. We call it the church. Now, let's be honest. The vast majority of members of the body of Christ are Gentile. Uh, and that's because Jews are very hard-headed. And they're, they're still clinging to their misguided idea that to them, the law would allow them to merit their righteousness. And they don't understand that there, there could be no self-righteousness that is acceptable to God You must have God's righteousness and it must come by faith because it can't be earned. It can't be merited. It has to be given freely to those who believe. And so we have victory over sin because we're in Christ Jesus. We're in the Lord. Similar expressions. So blessed is anybody who dies in the Lord because if you're in the Lord, you have eternal life. You'll never have to worry about saying, hey, come here. What about all these sins? They're gone. They've been washed away. And there's a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And there's your name. Date. And there you are. You heard the gospel. The Spirit of God convicted you of your need for Christ. And you accepted him to be your Savior. And then as a believer, you began to feel the, the conviction To give him control of your life. And by the power of the spirit. You want to serve him. Every day of your life. Until one day he comes. Now I said that we also have victory over death. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in in chapter 15. He said when this perishable will have put on the imperishable. And this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written. Quote, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is not through our hard work. The victory is not through keeping any law, whether it be Moses or one that we write up for ourselves. The victory is because we are in Christ Jesus. And to those who are in Christ Jesus, we not only have victory over sin, but we have the promise that if we die before he comes, we won't miss out because the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we'll be taken to be a part of the body of Christ as a whole being brought back to heaven to prepare itself to become the bride of Christ so that when Christ comes to establish his kingdom on earth he brings a queen with him the church and as he administrates over the entire earth the church will help him do that we will be a part of the administration of the millennial kingdom See, that that's that's a privilege that we could never earn. That is something that God gives to us through Christ Jesus. One of my favorite passages of Scripture to read when I talk about security is Romans 8. and I'm not going to read all that, but just the end of it, verses 38 and 39. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Now, all of that could be summarized by saying, I am convinced that nothing, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when you came to know Christ and you became a member of the body of Christ, and you became a child of God, that is the greatest security a person could ever imagine. And it will allow you to spend eternity future with Him, with His blessing. The scriptures say that we will be joint heirs with Christ. Uh, How much do you get if you're a joint heir? You get whatever the heir gets. You share it equally. Well, how much is Christ going to get? He's going to get all of it. And if you're a joint heir, you get all of it. We will share the riches of God's creation for ages and ages to come. That's a blessing. I would call that a blessing. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. A second one quickly. Uh, if I can get to it. that I pass it up? Yeah, here we go. It's, it's a, a blessing to die in the Lord because the blessing is instant and immediate. Now, that's not spelled out in verse 13, but I think it's just a, a, a uh, spiritual uh, deduction that comes from, from the first one. The blessing is instant and immediate. What I mean by that is that there's no delay. There's no waiting period. There's no purgatory. There's no probation. Uh, We don't have to wait for our family to to deal with some last-minute leftover sins that somehow got got lost in the shuffle. Uh, We don't have to wait for for God to uh, put us through an appeal system to make sure that we really are his children and all of our sins have been dealt with Uh, the moment you you leave this life you will be face to face with your savior instantly when my mother lay on her bed I I told you this a few years back it's, it's been 14 years now since the Lord took her home 2005 but as she lay in her bed and I was just talking to her. All of a sudden, she just started reaching out and trying to grab. And I said, Mama, what, what, are you, what are you doing? What do you see? And she's smiling. And I said, you see something. I know it. What is it? Tell me. I could write a book. <laughs> and she opened her eyes, and she looked at me, and she said, it's not your turn. You'll have to wait your turn. And then she closed her eyes and didn't say a word. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I think I know. I really do. I think that God was allowing her to see where she was about to go. He was pulling the curtains open and letting her see the glory of heaven and Christ and all the other saints who are already there. And, and she, wants to, she wants it. And when I said, tell me about it, it's not your turn. You'll have to wait your turn. But it is going to happen. Now, you may not have that experience, but that's where you're going. The moment you leave this mortal life, you will be translated by the speed of of thought into the presence of Christ himself. Blessed are they who die in the Lord. You remember Paul told the Corinthians Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say. And we prefer, rather, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I'm to the point where that's that's my, my heart. Paul understands exactly how I feel. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my... I love my grandchildren most of the time. <laughs> uh, I love being a part of the church. I couldn't imagine life without being a part of the body of Christ. And especially here at Grace Community Church. Uh, I, I love each one of you. And I, I can't imagine life with, without all this. This is one of God's great, great uh, delights that he's given to me. and he's, it's, it's yours too uh, as you're a part of, of, of this body. But as much as I love all these things, I'm, I'm just to the point where I'm tired of needles, I'm tired of probes, I'm tired of EKGs and ABCs and XYZs and all the stuff they, they do to you. And if, if today were my last day on earth, uh, I would be the happiest guy in all the universe. Not because I don't love my family. Not because I don't love you. Not because I don't love the fish uh, at the Coosa River and catch those, those beautiful crappie. At least I used to be able to catch them. It's getting difficult. But the idea of being face-to-face with the Lord, that, that is, that's dominant. And at my age... I know more people there now than I know here. So many of the people I know have have gone there. And I can't wait to see my mom and dad. And I can't wait to find out if Uncle Henry's there. And if he's there, he will be a prime example of grace. Uh, You may not know my Uncle Henry. Uh, He was my daddy's brother, one, one of three. And my dad led the other brother to Christ. Uncle Henry, he was, he was the black sheep. He, he, he treated me well. For some reason, uh, he loved me and was kind to me. He didn't cuss around me. He didn't spit around me. Uh, maybe it was because he respected my father, because he admired my father and his marriage and his children and, and, and uh, the things my dad did with his life. But Uncle Henry, uh, he, he could get rough. I mean, he could challenge a Chinese sailor in vocabulary. And uh, he claimed that he was a part of the church, but he never went. He hadn't been since he was an altar boy. But they finally had to cut a leg off because of diabetes. And, and there was nobody. His wife, they were, they were in their 80s when his wife left him and divorced him. Uh, her two sons came back in her life, and they convinced her to leave him. And then they took her money and put her in a nursing home, and, and, and off they went. But he lived across the river from, from New Orleans in an area called Algiers. And uh, mom would go over there and, and uh, take him for a ride just to get him out of the house. And he'd always swing by the, the church, and there was a, a buzzer at the gate. And a priest would come out. And he would say, hey, Father, uh, you know, pray for me. And, and he'd go to shake his hand, and he'd, he had some money, put some money in the priest's hand. And he thought, you know, I'll take care of it. You know, <clears throat> he'll, he'll take care of me. And um, I, I went to visit him on one occasion and tried to witness to him. And, and he was polite, but he made it clear. You don't have to do that. I'm okay. I, you know, everything's okay. And the final time, I went home to see Mom, and she said, you want to go see Uncle Henry? He's really running down. I said, yeah, let's go. And I had my son, my oldest teenage boy, and we went. And uh, when he found out that my son Chris liked golf, he said, go down in the basement, and anything you see, it's yours. And he gave Chris all of his clubs and his, his balls and his shoes and everything. And Chris just, oh, man. He said, Dad, he said, you can, you know, I'll swap him for you. You've never done anything like this for me. I mean, he just couldn't get over it. Uncle Henry giving him all that. And I tried once again. I said, Uncle Henry, I said, don't you want to have a guarantee that you'll be with us in heaven? You know, it, you just have to see that Christ died for you and that you can't save yourself. And that church can't save you. But you just trust him and him alone by faith. And we finally left. And uh, when I got back to Alabama, I wrote him a four-page letter. and just poured my heart out again. You know, I love you, Uncle Henry. And and I want you to be with us for eternity. And you can't get there by trying to depend on a church or, or whatever. You have to come to God through his son, Christ. And I finally signed it, and I mailed it to him and eventually he died a short time later. Mom called me and said, I'd really like you to come home and and do his funeral. She said, I called the church and they refused to, to have a mass for him because he wasn't regular and all that. They took his money every time he went to, now I know I'm being harsh, but, uh, but they deserve criticism for that. You take a man's money, then you say, no, no, you're not worthy of a mass. We, you're going to eternal damnation. And so I, I drove home, and we had a little uh, little memorial service right there at, at the funeral home before uh, the burial. And my mother said, I think you would want this. And she handed me a cigar box. It's sitting on my desk in my office. And it's got a piece of tape on it. And it says, do not touch, Mert. And that was his wife's name. And she was, uh, she was dominant. That was her house, and get your feet off of that, and do that, move that, and the only thing he had was his chair, his little television, and a little table with that cigar box, and I said, Mama, what am I going to do with this? She said, well, look at it, and I opened it up, and just as I thought, it had ink pen, file, clippers, pipe cleaners, a lighter, you know, trinkets like that, and then there were some things underneath it, and I pulled them out. Well, here's a letter that my son wrote him, thanking him for the golf stuff. I didn't even know it. And he said, Uncle Henry, he said, we want you to be with us in heaven. You know, really think about putting your trust in Jesus. And then there was my letter. And I thought, you know, nothing goes in that cigar box unless it has value to him. And... Right then and there, I realized that even a man like him could be touched by an act of compassion. Me coming to visit him, nobody else would except my mom and me willing to talk to him and and risk our, our relationship to tell him that you're lost and you'll never be able to work this out you don't have a leg to stand on. No pun intended. He, he had lost a leg, and, and and it's given me hope that he may be there. You say, well, he, he was he a member of a church? No. Well, I mean, did he even visit a church? No. Uh, was he? Uh, did he? Uh, did he walk in the circles of Christian people? I assure you, no. Uh, he. He was rough, but he may be there because he kept that letter. He probably read it as many times as I've read it since. And all he had to do was just cry out to the Lord in his his heart and say, God save me, I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus died for me. And if that's true, then his death was a blessed death because it brought him face-to-face to Christ as the one who died for him, and the one who promises that he will be a part of the resurrection one day when Christ comes for those who are his at the rapture of of the church. But blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. And they're blessed because, secondly, uh, it's instant and it's immediate. But now, quickly, there's a third one. and I'll let us get to it. Blessed are they who die in the Lord because they can rest from their labors. That's what the text says. The text says, uh, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Well, now, in the context of the tribulation, you know what their labors were? Uh, th- this word, by the way, is translated uh, labors. Uh, it- it's a word, uh, kapos. You say, oh, I'm glad to know that. Uh, but what does it mean? Well, it describes hard, difficult, exhausting toil. It can also refer to bother, annoyance, or trouble. And certainly, as one writer says, the tribulation... Saints will experience the whole gamut of the, wor- the, wor- the word's meaning. They will be filled with deep sorrow as they watch those they love. Children, parents, spouses, friends suffer torment and death. Their lives will be hard, difficult, dangerous as they struggle just to survive. Not having the mark of the beast, they'll be excluded from society, unable to buy or sell. And they'll live lives on the run as hunted fugitives. That's the way it's going to be for these people who come to Christ in the tribulation. It's not going to be an easy life at all. But when they die, then they can rest from their labors. They can rest from the hard life of being a righteous person living in a world of wickedness. Where everything that's done is an attempt to to, uh, exclude you and to eliminate you. If that be the case, I'll tell you another story quickly. My father, uh, his final career, the last 20 years of his life, he worked for the United States Postal Service. And it was really a a cushy job with him being sick the way he was. He worked indoors with air conditioning and and heat and all that. And the pay, uh, he got more money in one year at the post office than he got in three years working at the candy factory. And the benefits, health did it. was just a great job. Uh, they put him in a, the Department of Timekeeping. He kept up with the timesheets with uh, the men and how they record their hours. Because you're paid on an hourly basis. And every once in a while, Dad would find something that wasn't right. And when he'd bring it up, they had no choice but to say, oh, well, that that's a mistake. That should... Uh, they knew it was that way. They, they had put it that way. They were corrupt men who were trying to steal money from the post office through falsifying work records and overtime and all these things. And evidently, they finally figured out that if we're going to keep doing this, we've got to get rid of him because he's an honest man. He, he, he won't go along with that. So you know how they did it? My dad, other than fishing my dad's second favorite hobby was finding money. He would walk to work and walk home instead of taking the streetcar or even driving his car. And walking, he could look for money. And he would find it like crazy. And, and, and he put it in a, in a, a can, and, and we appreciated it because every Christmas after we opened our gift, singular, we all got to open our gift, singular, gift. He'd pull the can out, dump it, and we'd sort it and count it. And then he would divide it in three sections. One for my sister, one for my brother, and one for me. So we prayed for dad, find money, please find money, (laughs) because he gave it to us. Well, one day he goes to work and they say, gee, they want you on the third floor. He said, I've never worked up there. Well, they told me to tell you that that's where they want you to go. So he went to the third floor and he opened the door and here's this enormous room filled with desks, and there's nobody there. And he said, what? There's nobody here. And he looked down two quarters on the floor. Now there's a policy where if you find money, you're supposed to go get a supervisor and all that. But he was so trained in finding money he just bent over to pick him up, and he was going to put them on top of the desk. And the minute he touched those quarters, they broke in, and they arrested him and accused him of theft. And they handcuffed him, and they hauled him out in front of all of his friends. Here's an honest man. What do you think about that? And make a long story short, we eventually were able to, uh, to get a, a union attorney who uh, informed us that dad's time in the Navy was also government employment. And so they added that together and they had to wait like nine months and then they would be able to bargain for a 20 year retirement. So they went nine months without an income and I would send them money and mom would tear up the check and mail it back to me saying, we don't need it right now, we'll let you know if we need it. And I'm thinking, well, what are are you stealing? You know, I mean, when she was younger, we would go and we were in the iron and steel business. She had iron and I'd steel. But God just took care of them, and they kept supporting missionaries and all that. But um, they were, he was an example of a righteous man living in a corrupt environment. And they said, You don't belong here. You won't, won't, we we can't allow you to remain here because then we'll have to change and we don't want to change. We want to take advantage of the situation. And so, uh, blessed are those who die in the Lord because they can rest from their labors. Now, you're saying, well, I won't be in that, but you may have circumstances. You have to deal with unsaved family or you have to deal with a, a, a boss Who is is downright nasty, but yet you just can't quit because you got to have a job, you got obligations, you got bills to pay. Well, one day when you die, you can rest from those labors. It's not just a matter of working; it's the, the circumstance of all the difficulties that have come into your life and that you have to deal with. They'll be taken away, and then finally and my my time is gone. Blessed are they that die in the Lord because their deeds follow them. The text says that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. You know what that means? It means God remembers. He remembers everything you've done from the moment you came to know Christ. He remembers that word of encouragement. Or that act of kindness that nobody else saw. He saw it. The letter you wrote to encourage someone grieving or hurting. The visit where you went to visit someone to show kindness or mercy. And you didn't tell anybody about it. Only that person and God knows. That time you shared the gospel with someone who was unsaved. The gift you gave to the Lord, no matter how small. The investment of time and labor to serve your king. Everything you've done with a motive to honor Jesus Christ, God remembers. And there will be reward. There will be reward in heaven. One passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You see, God remembers. There are some who would say that it is a great tragedy for people to die. I I think that needs to be qualified. I think that it's a great tragedy for people to die who are outside the Lord. For people who are in the Lord, it's a great blessing because life doesn't stop. You now get to where God had intended for you to be all along, with him. He's been with us in this life, but he'll bring us to where he dwells for all eternity. And the blessings of death, they're for those who are in the Lord. They're not just for anybody. They're for people that know Jesus Christ. And so I challenge you. When the day comes for your departure from this life, ask yourself this question. Will I die in the Lord or will I die in my sins? If you die in the Lord, you're clothed with the righteousness of God. Therefore, you are acceptable to him. If you die in your sins, you are clothed with filthy rags and the fear of divine judgment, which certainly will come. No matter how much God loves you, if you reject the provision of his son's death, he cannot ignore your sin. He cannot ignore your unbelief. And that will be eternal separation from God for all time to come. I just challenge you. Make sure that as you're living your life with the provision of Christ, and I pray that he's blessing you and that you see his hand and all the things that's going on, make sure that you're in the Lord. Because it is unforgivable to die in your sins. That's eternal death. May God uh, give you the ability, even where you sit right now, to say, Lord, I want to get straight, and I realize I'll never be able to produce your righteousness, but I accept your Son as my Savior, and you will clothe me with your own righteousness, and I will be acceptable to you now and forevermore. May we all leave confident that we're in the Lord. Father, I thank you for this great, great promise that those who are in the Lord, their death will mean something. It'll be a blessing. It'll be a blessing to the person, him or herself, because... She'll never she or he will never have to worry about sin or or death. It's an instantaneous transfer from one location to being in the very presence of your Son Jesus Christ. Uh, it's It's a blessing where the labors will cease, and it's a blessing where our works will not be forgotten. They'll be remembered, and there will be great reward for those who faithfully serve you. May we all be faithful, faithful now, so that we can enjoy the blessings to come. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
4: Amen. Well, you guys can remain seated as we wrap up with this last song, Amazing Grace. I just want to encourage all of us, just think about your story. Think about who you were before you knew the Lord is your Savior um, and who you are today and um, just the grace and the kindness of the Lord in each of our lives this morning. I was on a self-righteous road, right? Most accounts of me was he's a good kid and at 13 the Lord said, you need a Savior, you're a sinner and your self-righteousness is not going to merit a relationship with me. Maybe that's your story, maybe it's not, but Just ponder and think about the goodness of the Lord in your life as we wrap up this morning.
5: grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears really how precious did that grace appear, the hour I first my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and a life
0: Some preacher years ago had made the comment that God's grace is so amazing because it found me and I wasn't even looking for it and that's true thank you for coming today let's just bow our heads and we'll be dismissed father we do pray that uh, you will give us uh, joy in our daily life we thank you for all the provisions we have Uh, through your spirit and the encouragement of the body of Christ. Uh, And we pray that we'll just continue to serve you gladly with great uh, joy, knowing that the best is yet to come. And uh, dismiss us now with your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. We're dismissed.